Well, good morning. So all the uh, pastors are slacking this week, and so... No. See, so I have got a microphone, so I can, I can get all the jabs that I want and uh, make it ring and then drive everybody out. So, all right, so this morning we're continuing our Poets' Corner, and we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the, the very opening. And let me read it for you. So I'm in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the word of God. Alan, you want me to switch to a different mic? All right. We'll keep ringing. So as I'm studying for this passage and trying to get a, a grasp on it, because you read it through and you're like, yeah, okay, I think I know what's going on. And then I start digging a little deeper and I realize, wow, I really don't have any idea uh, what's going on here. Um, and and I, I kept reading uh, different, different scholars and, and, and all these things. And it seems like every one of them had something a little different. Um, to say about this. And then one of the, one of the, the, the authors, um, he pointed at Stephen. So I don't know if you know, Stephen is from the book of Acts. And it's in Acts chapter 6 and 7. And Stephen is out proclaiming the gospel, okay? Jesus Christ has, has uh, lived on the earth. He, he died on the cross, he's risen, and he, he's gone up to heaven, the church has begun, they're off to the races, and, and Stephen is one of these guys, and it describes him as being full of grace and power, and he was performing wonders and signs in front of all the people. And, of course, every time, every time something, something that God is doing or we see Jesus doing something every time in the scripture, somebody has to have a problem with it, right? All these great things are happening. People are being healed. healed. I'm going to go after this guy. So these, it says these men rose up from a, a nearby synagogue, and they start to try and uh, uh, raise disputes with him. But in, the, in chapter 6, it says, it literally says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking, which is Kind of awesome. 
So then what they do is they start this whispering campaign. It literally says that they began secretly to sully his reputation and spread that he was a blasphemer, which means he was speaking against the Old Testament scriptures. And so they, they, men seize him and they bring him before this kangaroo court. And he preaches the gospel. And it's awesome in chapter 7. It's awesome. It's so awesome that the people who didn't like him are now infuriated with him. And so this kangaroo court finds him guilty. And they sentence him to death. And they begin to stone him. And it says in, in the midst of this, so, so Stephen is he, he's going to die. right? This is it for him. It says, now when they, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. They're mad. You know you're mad when you're, right? That's mad. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So as I thought about what the, what the Beatitudes are, which is what this, this thing is, is known as, the, the scripture that we read, I feel like Stephen understood it. Stephen understands something that, that, that maybe I don't. How was Stephen able to have that kind of courage in the face of death? What resource was he able to tap into to have that kind of strength and steadfastness and resolve? And I believe Stephen understood his standing in the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, he had the resources to be blessed in the very moment of his death. Because what we learn from the Sermon on the Mount is that in Christ in the kingdom of heaven, we receive all the resources we need to handle anything and everything that comes our way. And I want that. I want that. So where we find Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5, just a brief timeline, because I always I want to know where things are at in the story. I don't know if you're growing up, I grew up in church. And Sunday school was a lot of fun. And you learn this story. There's Noah. And you learn Abraham. And you learn Jonah. And I had no idea how they all fit together. So I remember as I got older and I started reading things. Oh, this makes a lot more sense when you put it in order. So anyway, so in the book of Matthew, right at the beginning, you get the, a genealogy, right? And then you get a, a, a birth story. And this is where we, we, we meet the wise men or the magi, and King Herod is after them. So, so newborn baby and, and Mary and Joseph, they flee to Egypt. Is this ringing a bell? Um, then we have um, the, uh, the, the baptism of Jesus, with, where he meets John. We have the temptation of Christ, where he goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted for 40 days. And then he comes back, he begins his ministry, he starts preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
That's the gospel. It says he preaches the gospel, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He starts calling some of his disciples. And when we find him here in this moment, he wasn't just out and about and said, hey, let's have a, you know, a, a group seminar. He was healing people. He was meeting people's needs. And so, so on this, this hillside where he's teaching, there's all these people around him who have come to Jesus for something. To, to see what's going on. To see what, what is everybody talking about? Or they have hurt. Or they have needs. Or they're hungry. Or they're tired. Or they're broken in body. Or broken in spirit. And they're coming. And Jesus is, is healing and doing all these miraculous things. And so I picture that as he's, as he's teaching, it's not just being esoteric, but there's literally someone there who he has just comforted, or he has just encouraged, or he has just healed. And he's speaking specifically to someone there. So the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you can kind of find it in two places. It's in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7, and it's also in, in Luke 6. And I kind of focus in on, on, on the Matthew one. And I believe that the whole thing is meant to be, to be read as, as one entity. It has these things at the beginning and at the end that they call inclusios. That's the fancy word uh, for basically, it's like brackets. And, and there are literary cues in there that bracket it. And, and I think the, the overarching theme uh, of the Sermon on the Mount is what is your foundation? What is the foundation of your life? At the beginning, it's this Beatitudes. What is your foundation? It's the kingdom of heaven. At the end, the very last thing he says in the Sermon on the Mount is, is the, the story of the wise and foolish builder. It says that the, that the wise man is like the man who builds his house on the rock. And when the storms come and the winds blow, uh, that house stands. Not so the foolish they are like those who build their house on the sand. And when the storms come and, and the rains and the winds, and that is washed away. So where are you building your life? On what foundation? Are you living into this world? What are your presuppositions? What are the things that you know to be true that help you navigate this world that we live in? And if you wait for culture to give you those, they're going to change. And they're going to keep changing. And they're going to keep changing because they're sand. They are not a firm foundation. So I also think that, the, that this little poem at the beginning is also an inclusio. Okay, this is, I'm getting all the boring stuff out of here. And the inclusio gives you a clue as to the main point of the Beatitudes. And I believe the main point is, to whom does the kingdom of heaven belong? To whom does the kingdom of heaven belong? Well, what is meant by the kingdom of heaven? Um, Matthew is the only one that uses this phrase. We also see it in other places, the kingdom of God. Uh, but I, I think the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are essentially uh, the same thing. And in, in its most basic understanding, the kingdom of God is a place where God is. 
The kingdom of God is a place where God is. It's where God is experienced. And I think back to the Old Testament, but the image I have is from the movie Prince of Egypt. Have you ever seen that? It's a cartoon about Moses. And every time I watch the scene where he goes up under the mountain to see the burning bush, I just get chills. They just do such a beautiful, beautiful job of visualizing the presence of God. And in that moment, he's told to take off his, his, his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses is experiencing the presence of God in a real, visceral way in that moment. So what is the kingdom? The kingdom is being in the presence of God. In John, Jesus says his prayer for his disciples is that where I am, there you may also be. That where I am, there you may also be in this life and the next A place where God's will is done. Most of us know the Lord's Prayer, and we say it, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer that kingdom living and kingdom rule would not just be this far off thing, or this thing that we look toward that someday in the future there will be kingdom living. No, it is for us also here and now. It is an already not yet thing in the life of the believer. So what are beatitudes? We say this, this word and um, you know if you're growing up around churches it's, it's really common. Um, but it really is just the Latin form of the word blessed or blessedness or supreme happiness. And I always struggle with the word happy. It it always seems so um, lightweight to me. Um, But supreme happiness, so that gives it some oomph, right? Supreme. Blessed. Well, what is blessedness? It is the supreme happiness. The Greek word for it is makarios. And it's describing, it says, something you are when God extends his benefits. I like that. Being blessed is something you are when God extends his benefits to you or to me. The advantage he confers to us. So as I read through the, the, the Beatitudes, my, my, my first initial reaction to it is, okay, this is a checklist. And if I go through the checklist and I can check all these boxes, then, bam, I'm in the kingdom, right? So you're like, all right, blessed are the poor in spirit. All right, so I, I have to be melancholy. Maybe, maybe get rid of stuff. Okay. Blessed are those who mourn. Okay, i got to be sad. All right. Uh, blessed are the meek. Okay. And we turn it into this checklist of things that we have to aspire to. But as soon as we do that, we have now turned it into this kind of works-based thing, that if I work hard enough at being sad, 
and I work hard enough at being poor in spirit, and I work hard enough at being humble, then, then I, I will be in the kingdom. But we kind of know, Paul tells us that these kind of checklists don't work. Not to take anything away from the Ten Commandments or the law, but Paul kind of tells us that the problem with the law is it just shows us how bad we are. Because we, with the law, when we see the Ten Commandments and God's standard for us, we see how far away we are from that standard. In fact, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus basically says, you need to be perfect as I am perfect. I mean, I don't know if I can be perfect for 30 seconds. Maybe that's given me some, some grace there. The Beatitudes are not a checklist of things to aspire to necessarily. It says, Jesus later on says that our righteousness needs to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. And the scribes and Pharisees are kind of the villain, you know, in, in the New Testament most of the time, right? But I got to give them a little grace. They're at least trying to do the right thing or trying not to do the wrong thing you know, but it turns into this system of, of oppression and, and do's and don'ts you know I look at the verse 5 and that's the, the blessed um, are the meek for they will inherit the earth another way to translate like that is, is humble and I'm like okay I can do this I can be humble in fact so in June I'm walking around and seeing all these pride shirts, right? And I'm like, you know what? That, that word pride, it just gets my goat. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a shirt that says humble on it. And I'm going to walk around and be like, yeah, humility. That's, that's what we need. You need what I got, humility. And then I thought, wow, that's ironic. And, and, and maybe, maybe missing the mark. To whom does the kingdom of heaven belong? And I think the answer is right away in verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I think our minds generally go right to wealth. That, well, we have to be poor, or we have to be sad, or we have to you know, wear sackcloth in ashes. And I really like how the New Living Translation says this. It says that God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. So who is the kingdom of heaven for? It's for the spiritually bankrupt. It's for the one who does not seek after God. It's for the one who lives his life spitting in his face. And they might, might not know that they're doing that even. It's for the one who didn't grow up in church and doesn't know all the ins and outs of, of the theological terms. It's for the person that we find offensive. And I almost get this point. <laughs> Remember... I love the show The Office. 
and there's a moment where Michael Scott, the, the boss in the office, where he's having financial troubles and he doesn't know what to do. And, and he steps out of his office and just goes, I declare bankruptcy! You know, thinking that he has now declared bankruptcy and he's fixed all his, his financial problems. I love that. I love that, that part. I think there's a sense here spiritually where that's exactly what we need to do. We need to Michael Scott it a little bit and declare, Lord, I'm utterly, completely lost and hopeless without Jesus. I have no hope. I have no future without Jesus. And so recognize that the wages of sin is death. So we live our life and we sin and what we earn by living our life of sin is death, spiritual death. It says that God loved us so much he sent his son. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that while we were spiritually bankrupt, that while we were a complete offense to God, that he died for us. And so we see God reversing the story in the kingdom. So he's reversing roles with us. Because we deserve death. But instead, he lifts us up and dies in our place. And deals with the penalty, penalty of sin. He's flipping the script on everything that we thought we knew Theologian Dallas Willard says that the Beatitudes are explanations and illustrations drawn from the immediate setting of the present availability of the kingdom through personal relationship to Jesus. How am I in the kingdom? By being in the presence of Jesus. By having a relationship with Jesus. My daughter one day... I was like, well, why don't you tell me these things? She was having an issue. I'm like, why don't you tell me these things? She goes, Dad, because to you, the answer to everything is Jesus. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus flips the script. He flips the world's power structure on its head. There's this, Jesus is one of the most subversive people ever to live on the planet. He starts this reverse kingdom in this moment. When he says that all the things that the world scoffs at and devalues and overlooks and takes advantage of, that those are the things that, that Jesus, not prizes, but longs to connect with those people. Power, comfort, success, recognition, none of these things have any value in the kingdom of heaven. And yet power, comfort, success, and recognition seem to be all the world strives after. And even in my heart, I see some of those things in my heart. 
See, at this time when, when Jesus is preaching, people assumed that if you were well off and, and, and everything was go, coming up aces for you, that God's favor was upon you and your wealth and your good position and your power and your authority was a sign of God's blessing on you. And what he's doing in this, in this Sermon on the Mount is telling you that success and wealth is not a sign that God's favor is upon you. His favor is upon those who earnestly seek him. His favor is on those who, utterly, who are utterly ruined and need him. Jesus is saying everything that you thought you knew is completely wrong. So the first four, the first four of these uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Um, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The, the first four are kind of st a state or circumstance that we find ourselves in. We just discussed we find ourselves spiritually bankrupt in need of him. We find ourselves often in mourning. We, we live in a world marred by sin. And where death reigns. And that leads us into mourning. We live in a world where we know what could be. And we see what is. And it leads to sadness. Where we recognize that this world is not our home. And we long for the day when we'll see Jesus face to face. And sometimes that brings grief. But he says, you will be comforted. And that comfort isn't something for far off and for later. That comfort is for here and now. And through the relationship with Jesus, experiencing the presence of God in the kingdom, there is comfort for you now. For those who, who are meek, humble, we might say powerless, or, or for someone who has no agency, no ability to improve their circumstances. That the kingdom of heaven is for them, here, now. Maybe you long to see justice. He says hunger and thirst for righteousness is... The sense of righteousness here is one of, of justice, of seeing right prevail and wrong destroyed. And a lot of our songs we sing about how one day God will destroy evil. We long for justice. But in the kingdom, there is justice. The last four or five, depending on how you count them, are kind of attitudes. Kind of attitudes that, that are prized in the kingdom of heaven, but not the kingdom of this world. It says, blessed are the merciful. And when I think of merciful, when it's people who show mercy, I think of the expression that no good deed goes unpunished. You've heard that? You've heard that? 
The world does not value someone who shows mercy. And they will often turn and tear you to pieces. But in the kingdom of heaven, the merciful will be shown mercy. The pure in heart. Psalm 24 talks about the pure in heart, and it is those who trust in God. Who are the pure in heart? Those who trust in God. The world does not value those who trust in God. And if you're looking for a pat on the back from your neighbor for trusting in God, but the pure in heart will see God. Those who trust in God will see God. I think of Habakkuk. My favorite verse, Habakkuk 2.4, 2, 4 says that the, the prideful man, his way is not right with him, but the righteous will live by faith. And those righteous who live by faith and trust in God, you will see him. The peacemaker, blessed are the peacemaker. If you're, if you're a peacemaker, you're not taking sides, which generally means that everyone's mad at you equally, right? It's not a win-win-win. He says, blessed are those who persecute you because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. And I think of Stephen. You know, if this world is all there is, and working, working to fight injustice, or working to stand up for the cause of Christ is going to make me lose my job, or my reputation, or like Stephen, my life, then why do it? If that's all there is. But it's not all there is. Like the, the song that Stephen Curtis Chapman sings, there's more to this life than living and dying. There's more than just trying to make it through the day. There's a God in heaven. He sent his son and his name is Jesus. And in him we can be part of the kingdom of heaven. We can experience the presence of God and we can tap into the same resources that Stephen had when he stood strong and firm in the face of his accusers and his executioners. And he could say, I see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. And being in the kingdom gives us the resources to have that kind of courage Because the power in the kingdom comes from recognizing our weakness. Because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. If we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all the things that we need will be added as well. A final quote from Dallas Willard. He says, The gospel of the kingdom is that no one is beyond beatitude. No one is beyond being blessed. Because the rule of God from the heavens is available to all. Everyone can reach it, and it can reach everyone. So in closing, I'd like to sing a song. And I don't know if you guys know this one. It's we have the words but I felt like as I was reading this and as I was thinking about it, that this song 
spoke to this. but come confess that you are Lord and they would cry out praise the Lord praise the Lord Lord you are hope for the hopeless and we will ask that we could experience experience your kingdom living here and now Lord, maybe we need to recognize that we are spiritually destitute. Maybe we have felt like we were owed something by you. Lord, I ask that we would confess that now. Lord, we long to see your kingdom lived out in this place among these people. In your name we pray, amen. Well, hey, thanks for putting up with me. Have a great Sunday. See you next week. And I, um, we've got the water thing next week, so you don't want to forget that. Bring clothes, you know, for playing in the water.